0: Exodus chapter 2. We're going to continue our study through the Old Testament book of Exodus this morning. And if you don't have a Bible with you, the passage that the teaching is based on is printed for you right there in the bulletin. You want to keep that in front of you as we go along. And uh, before we turn to God's Word, let me just make one brief announcement. Uh, we have a Christchurch 101 class starting up next week. Uh, Christ Church 101 is a class, kind of an intro to Christ Church. And, what do we believe as a church? Why is it? Why do we worship the way do we do? What is our mission and vision? And so, if you're new to Christ Church, it's a great way to learn about our church. It's also the pathway to become a member. So, if you're interested in becoming a member, you want to take this class, and then we'll have an opportunity after at the end of the four weeks to uh, have you have an interview with with a couple of our elders. We'll interview. You know, we just get to know you, hear a little bit about your story, answer any questions that you have. About uh, the church, and so you can sign up for that on the lobby. There's some paper signups, or you can sign up online. We have an online communication tool called Church Community Builder. If you go to our website, you'll see a little login link. You can click on that, and it'll uh, give you some instructions about how to get plugged into uh, Church Community Builder. If you go, if you're ever signing up for something on Church Community Builder, there is a forms link that you want to click on, and that'll take you to the forms that, that uh, sign up for things like. Church 101. So that's, that's all we have for announcements. Uh, we're going to uh, look now at the word of the Lord and uh, Exodus chapter 2 starting in verse 11. Hear God's word to you, his beloved children. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, He sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. And they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Raul, he said... Mighty Father in heaven, thank you that you have spoken to us through your holy word. We pray that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts, our minds, open our lives to you, that you may speak to us, and we would know that these words are from you. So we pray that you would be our teacher during this time, guide our minds, apply this word to us and to us as a community. So we present ourselves to you in the name of Jesus, our Lord, amen. So this morning we are uh, looking at a story that gives a glimpse into the kind of man that Moses was. Moses is a main character in the book of Exodus who we know will end up leading the people of God who are slaves in Egypt out of Egypt and lead them to the promised land where he will establish them as a nation. And in this passage, we find out that Moses, great hero of the faith, was a murderer. And uh, he saw something that sparked such an anger in him that he killed someone. And it's, It's an interesting fact about the Bible that the three most prolific authors in the Bible are murderers. So Moses was a murderer, uh, David was complicit in a murder, and the apostle Paul was complicit in a murder. Three, the three, you, you know, most extensive biblical writers are murderers. You know, what does God have, you know, affection or, you know, to use murderers? Why does he do that? And uh, actually, I've wondered that, and when I was in seminary studying to become a pastor, I, I met a, a man who's a pastor in Chicago, works with gangs, and, and works in the prison system in Chicago, and he was he's actually a short guy, he's a pretty small guy, and he, he ta- works with these really tough people, and he was talking about one time he was in a prison, and he, what he would often do when he went into a prison was ask all the prisoners, who's the toughest, scariest guy in the whole prison? And... Uh, In this one prison, they told him about this guy who was this great big man who was in, I think, for multiple murders. And so he went straight up to the guy, and he says, Hey, I'd like to talk to you about Jesus and about what it means to follow Jesus and serve God. This guy said, You know, Do you know who I am? Everyone's scared of me. He said, Yeah, I know who you are. And Jesus is looking for people who are willing to go all the way. (laughs) Willing to go all the way. You're a murderer. And so he's saying if that makes you a good applicant for serving the Lord is because you're willing to go all the way. And um, that's kind of what Moses was like. And um, what this tells us and what this passage tells us is that anger is a complex reality in our lives. It is the thing that can cause us to be courageous, that can cause us to act on behalf of people for justice, this thing that can cause us to go all the way, give ourselves wholly to something, to serving others. But most often we experience anger as something that is selfish and destructive. And I know for me personally, anger is probably the greatest besetting sin in my own life. I know many of you think I'm nice Pastor Nate. Nice Pastor Nate can get hot and and. I, I'm sure that for many of you, anger is a, uh, a sin that has seemed to haunt your relationships, maybe haunt your families. And I've recently been reading a book uh, called Good and Angry. It's by David Pallison, if you're interested in a book on, on anger. he's a Christian counselor. It's really an excellent book. And so this morning, as I've been reflecting on that, as we come to this passage, I want to give us a biblical understanding of anger. And I want to do it under these uh, these three headings: that anger is a judge, anger is a deliverer, and anger is the Lord's. That is, anger ultimately belongs to the Lord. It's the Lord whose anger we need to trust in. And I want to explain each of these things. And this is a topic that you know touches all of our lives in different ways. Whether you maybe there's shame because you're an angry person, or there's Uh, pain because you've been the victim of anger, all of us in some ways are a mix of both of those things. So it's a delicate topic that we come to together and um, I I pray that the Lord uh, uses this text to, to guide us, to teach us, to heal us. So three things this morning. The first is this. Anger is a judge. And you'll, you know, that's one of the themes of this passage is that Moses Is a judge, right? Uh, Moses kills an Egyptian man. Notice what it says in verse 13. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why did you strike your companion? And he answered, who made you a prince and judge over us? It's kind of ironic if you know the story of Exodus. Moses will become the prince and judge over Israel. So that will become true about him. But what we see in this passage is that anger transformed Moses into the place of a judge. Why does anger do that? I'll give you a few reasons. Okay, First reason, anger transforms us into a judge because anger is a moral emotion. Anger is the moral emotion. And you notice this verse 11. Look at how this passage starts. One day when Moses had grown up, he went to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. This passage begins with Moses seeing an injustice happening. And anger is the moral emotion because basically, you know, how do you define what anger is? Anger is essentially the thing in us that says that something is wrong and it's important. Anger is the thing in us that says that something is wrong. Something is unfair. Something is unjust. And it's an important thing. Something needs to be done about it. And, uh, you know, often, so that means that every time that we get angry, we are making value judgments about the people around us, about how we've been treated, about how other people have been treated. You know, for most of us, that's when we get most angry was when we feel like we've been treated unfairly. And, you know, I'll say this actually insight has been helpful for me as I just think about my own anger, to ask these two questions of myself. Is this thing that I'm angry about, first of all, is it wrong? Why am I angry? Is this because something wrong has been done? You know, if I'm angry with my children, have they sinned in a way that the Bible says they shouldn't? Or am I just annoyed? Or is this an inconvenience? They're being inconvenient to me. And I'm frustrated with that. So the first question, is it wrong? Second question, is it important (laughs) Is this something that I really should get upset about? Is it that bad? You know, is my emotion proportionate to the wrong that's been done? So really, is it important? There's two helpful questions to kind of analyze our emotions and how we're reacting to people. But anger is a judge because it's a moral emotion. But, you know, in the Bible, if you read the Bible about judges, judges are important characters in the Bible and if you read about those judges, there's actually a book in the Bible called Judges and you read about the judges in there. They're not like, you know, Judge Judy in a gown with the gavel and people are coming and they're kind of making decisions. A judge in the Bible, you want to picture something more like Braveheart. A judge in the Bible is someone who says, I'm going to slay the oppressor. There's someone who's defied God and is mistreating people and I'm going to correct it by killing them. And so what that tells us is that anger is a judge not only because it's a moral emotion, but anger is violent. And you see that, of course, in, in, uh, in verse 12, where it says about Moses, he looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Moses addresses the wrong by an act of violence. Anger does not just say that there's something wrong. Anger says there's something wrong, and I'm going to do something about it. And, um, but what happens in this scene here is that someone was beating one of Moses' brothers, and what does he do? He kills him. The, the, the anger doesn't match the crime, right? And so the violence, the correction, is an overcorrection, and uh, Tim Keller, who's a, a pastor, says this about, that loving anger is always a surgical strike. Loving anger is focused on an evil and wants to cut out that evil. So, for example, you know, if you have a teenager who's, you know, being difficult, you want to not... Get rid of the teenager. You want to cut out the idi- idiocy that's happening in them. You want a surgical strike. But what often happens in our anger is that the, the evil that we want to get rid of, if you think of it like a skin cancer, you know a skin cancer does need to be cut out. And there is a violence in that. There's a knife that is carefully cutting out that piece of the body. But what we do is we take a baseball bat and start beating the person thinking that we're taking care of their skin cancer. And of course we're not. We're hurting them more. We're doing more damage to them. Most of our anger, in trying to stop injustice, we commit injustice. We hurt the person. We're trying to correct a wrong, but we end up doing more wrong. And now the other person has a reason to say it's wrong and it's important. And so what ends up happening is the anger is perpetual. It's cyclical. So, for example, this, ha- you know, this happened throughout history where you have you know, these two tribes. And one, someone in one tribe kills someone in the other tribe. And they say, you killed our brother, we're going to kill your whole family for killing our brother. And then they say, well, you killed our whole f- one of our families in our clan, we're going to go to war with you now. And because the, 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 the anger does not match the crime, there's this escalating nature of the violence that happens. Of course, this happens, you know, in marriages too, right? Husband and wife are fighting and the wife says, you are never home on time. And uh, the husband says, you are always being critical of me. Which is, that's not true. Always, never. It's an exaggeration. And it's escalating. Now both people feel like injustice has been done to them. And they both have warrant now to be angry. The violence and imprecision of anger causes it to escalate and divide the world. And you see that that happens in this passage. Look Look at what happens in verse 15. When Pharaoh heard of it. He sought to kill Moses. So Moses sees a beating, and he does an act of violence, and now Pharaoh's brought into it, and now he, is gonna, he wants to kill someone. And, um, and so the violence escalates. Now the question is, why do we do that? Why do we exaggerate the wrongs that are done to us so that we mistreat people and we get more angry than we should? We don't do a surgical strike. This is the third reason why anger is a judge, is because anger is arrogant. And you'll notice that verse 13, again, it says, When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and judge of us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? What this man is pointing out is that Moses has made himself the judge, and yet he's a murderer. He says, I'm the righteous judge. We'll help you resolve this. And yet he's the one who kills people. And so um, the reason anger is arrogant and says I should be the judge is because it makes you blind to your own injustice and sins and faults. And so because anger is a moral emotion, you know, there is such a thing as righteous anger. There are times when you should get angry because there's wrong that is done in the world. There are evils that are done in the world that we should get angry about. But the thing we have to be on guard against is the only reason we get angry is because we think a, a moral crime has been done or a wrong or an injustice has been done. So you will always believe that your anger is righteous, by definition. Because you believe the thing that you're angry about is wrong and it's important. And so you will always see it as righteous anger. And so one of the important refrains in the Bible is that we should be slow to anger because the Lord is slow to anger. If God is slow to anger, he, has, he knows all the evil in the world. He has every reason to be more angry than I should. If he's slow to anger, I should definitely be slow to anger. But also we should be slow to anger because we have to realize that our anger blinds us so deeply to injustice that we are doing because we think that we're the hero and that we're making the world right. And so we have to slow down before we can see the violence that's in our own hearts. Um, we cannot, uh, we need to uh, curb our anger. And so anger transforms us into a judge because anger is moral, it is violent, and it is arrogant. And as we hear that, most of us will say, well, anger must, the Bible sees anger as a negative thing. It must be seen as a bad thing. And in many ways, that's true. If you read some of the lists of sins in the New Testament, you know, the Apostle Paul talks about the works of the flesh. And let me read to you part of uh, of the list of Paul's works of the flesh. He says that the works of the flesh are enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. There are a million variations on what anger looks like. You know, some of us might be yellers, loud, angry people. That's me. I'm a yeller. Some of us are quiet, angry people. We never lose our cool, but inside we're seething with bitterness and envy. We hate people in our hearts. They look very different, and all along the spectrum, all these different ways that anger shows up in our life, as the Bible certainly gives us warnings about these. The Bible's view of anger is much more complex than to simply say it's a sin. And that leads to our second point, is that not only that anger transforms us into a judge, but also that, second, anger is a deliverer. And the story of Moses, it's really interesting, the story about Moses murdering the Egyptian is paired right next to this other story where he goes and rescues these vulnerable women who are trying to... Uh, water their flocks of sheep and these other shepherds are coming and harassing them and Moses steps in and protects them. And so anger is a deliverer for a couple reasons. Okay, this is why anger is important is because anger makes us act. Anger makes you do something. And you see this verse 16, look at what it says. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered the flock. And I love that line. Moses stood up. He did something. He put his body in the way. He faced this group of shepherds. He's all by himself. And so he did something. He was courageous. He put his body in the place of danger for the good of others. And, um, you know, if I could say what Moses is doing here, I think is really at the heart of what it means to, to be a man. Being a man looks like putting your body, putting your thoughts, your ideas into the place of confusion, the place of darkness, and saying, I'm willing to be present there. Um, this past week, I, I was at a, a gathering of pastors in Leavenworth and uh, in our Presbyterians meeting. It's all the, it's part of our denominations where pastor, pastors meet together. And I was having lunch with a friend of mine who's a pastor in West Seattle. And uh, he was telling me about, uh, you know, one of the things that our church practices we have men who serve as the elders of the church. And he was talking about how he was in church. Most of the people in his church are uncomfortable with that. And he was saying that one of the ways that he explains that to people is he says every person that he's ever spoken to, if he simply says, isn't there a time in your life story where you were in a place of confusion and darkness and there was an important man in your life that you wish had stepped in and showed up and said something, even if they didn't know what to do, even if they didn't know the right things to say, Don't you wish they had been present and tried to show up, tried to act? He says uniformly, everyone says, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. He says that's why God calls men in the church, that they can't run away from confusion and darkness. They face it, and they should walk into it. Anger is meant to creatively throw us into the place of confusion and darkness to be present and to act. It's an act of cons- being constructive and being creative and say, I'm going to figure out this problem. And instead, we use anger, anger to destructively avoid confusion. We say, I don't want to deal with the problems. I don't know. Don't bring your problems to me. I got my own things. I want to do my own thing. And please don't bother me with the problems. And uh, that's the opposite of what anger is meant for. And um, we, when we read that... Mo- uh, about, read that about Moses, that he stood up, we see that anger is actually not something simply your emotions do, but anger is something you do with your whole body. It's something you do with all of who you are. Anger activates you to action. And I want to read a a paragraph, this is from David Pallison's book on anger. He says this, anger involves physiology and anatomy. It has a marked bodily component, especially obvious in the more dramatic forms of anger. A general nervous tension pervades your body. Your adrenaline surges. The muscles in your face and chest and maybe your fists too clench. Your stomach churns. The sympathetic nervous system fires up. You actually feel hot as blood rushes to your muscles. Now listen to this. Preparing you for action. Preparing you for action. What's both beautiful and frightening about anger is that anger makes us act. And so often the actions of our anger are used to serve and protect ourselves instead of serving and protecting others. And so the other reason that anger is a deliverer is not only because it's the thing that makes us stand up and do something and get involved and face the problem... And, and have courage and say, you know what, I'm going to show up. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to be there. But anger also makes us serve. The way God intends anger to work, it, it causes us to serve people. And you can see the servant-heartedness of Moses. Look at verse 18. When they came to their father, Raul, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the f- shepherds, And even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter, Zipporah. And you know, there's something just so complex about Moses here, right? He's the guy who murders Egyptians, and yet, you know, he helps these women, he's watering, you know, getting the buckets of water whatever they're doing filling the trough you know he has his servant heartedness you know i just picture him getting all dirty and say hey whatever you need he is a servant and i would say i think these are the two distinctives of what the bible says of, of being a man in the bible are is both creatively entering into confusion being willing to be present and then will, using your strength to serve others That's what it means to be a man in the Bible. That's what God's called us to. And I think this beautiful richness of character is the mark of our Lord Jesus. Right? You see the Lord Jesus when, you know, the deformed and the poor and the weak come to him and it says over and over again, he sees them and he has compassion on them. And yet that same... Jesus is the one who goes into the temple and he's throwing over the, the table of the money changers. And he's just enraged that they're oppressing people and mistreating people and not letting people come and worship in the temple. And um, I think some of us wonder that about God, you know, that, oh, you know, is, what is God? Is he angry or is he loving? You know, some of you may read the Bible and say, you know, he seems kind of two faced in the Bible. You have all these passages where God's wrathful and he's angry and these other passages where he's gracious. Is he kind of two faced? Is he, is he have these split personalities? Because maybe that's some of the ways that you've experienced anger in people. Is you don't know who you're going to get. You have a coworker, and, I, you know, I hope they're in a good mood today. Am I going to get the angry or the nice person? And we think, is God that way? God is not that way. His anger and his love are always one. And I, I think this is one of the reasons, if you've ever read the Chronicles of Narnia stories... the the main hero in the Chronicles of Narnia is the lion, Aslan. And the thing that I love about Aslan is he's both terrifying and terrible. (laughs) And loving and kind and approachable and gentle. You know, you don't know, he's both those things, but those things go together. You know, there's these scenes where he's weeping these giant tears about Diggory. Diggory's uh, mother is dying and he weeps with Diggory and he has these little girls who climb in his mane and ride on his back and wrestle with him. And yet also he goes and he fights the white witch and he roars, he has this terrifying roar as he's, you know, saving Narnia and all the talking animals from the oppression of the white witch. And you say, are these... Two different Aslans? No, they're not. It's because he loves little children and he hates evil it's because of his love that he's angry. It's because of that love that drives that anger. And so this is one of the important questions for us to ask about our own anger. When we are angry, who are we defending with our anger? Who are we fighting for? Is it that I feel disrespected or I'm not getting my way, that's why I'm getting angry? Or am I fighting for God's honor and for the good of others? Most of us get far more angry, get physically agitated about someone disrespecting us than we do about the poverty and injustice in the world. Most of us get far more angry about someone disrespecting us than we do about the weak or the broken or the marginalized or the lonely. Those things don't anger us. We get angry about uh, people not treating us the way we want. And so this comes to the question is, who is my anger serving? When our children see our anger, do they see that this anger comes from a love for God and a defending of the weak? Are we defending the weak? You know, children love justice. And they they know justice when they see it. And they know when our anger is serving ourselves or is serving the weak and serving others around us. They know that. And what all this means, you know that anger is a judge, that anger is a deliverer, is that the Bible communicates a real ambivalence about anger. Anger is an essential part of what it means to be human and to fight evil in the world. It is also very near the heart of the worst evil in the world. It's the thing that fights evil, and it's the thing that creates evil at the same time. So what should we make of it? Well, this leads to the last, uh, last point. Not only that anger is a judge, anger is a deliverer, but anger is the Lord's. The Bible says over and over that anger belongs to the Lord. And if you're here this morning and you say, you know, I don't, I don't believe in an angry God. I believe in a loving God. I want you to hear these verses in verse 23. Look at what it says about the God of the Bible. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Now, anger is saying that something is wrong and it's important. Should God look at a nation of slaves who are being oppressed, who are crying out to him? Should he look at that and say it's wrong and it's important? He better say that. Are you going to worship a God who doesn't look at that and say it's not wrong and it's important? Of course. And in fact, the Bible says that the only way that we can be people who don't take revenge for the wrongs that are done against us The only way that we can be forgiving people is if we believe that there is a God of vengeance. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. I don't trust my own anger. But there is coming a day, a day of God's wrath, a day of God's anger, a day when God will say it's wrong and it's important. And we all long for God to look on this world of evil and to say that and to set things to right and to make things right. That is a deep longing of the human heart. But this is going to give us mixed feelings because most of us just say, yeah, do you want God to come and heal the world of its evil, and rid the world of its evil? All of us say yes. But Then all of a sudden we realize that we're a part of that evil. And so now we maybe have mixed feelings because we're going to say God's anger is going to be turned on me. And so how am I going to approach a God? That's why many of us say I don't believe in a God of anger because I feel the shame of 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 the things that I've done, my contribution to violence and evil and arrogance in the world. This is what is so amazing about the God of the Bible. He's not only a judge, he's not only a deliverer, but God himself comes as a man in Jesus Christ. And when Jesus dies on the cross, he becomes the target of God's surgical strike against evil. He receives God's wrath and anger. He absorbs it for us. So that when we have been humbled, we're no, no longer arrogant to say, I'm the judge, but we're humbled and say, I've contributed to the evil in the world. And we, uh, and we look at Jesus and we realize that He has taken God's wrath for me. And if you are in Christ, if you belong to Jesus, there is no more wrath and anger. It's deeply humbling. And it also frees me from violence. It says, if God has treated me with such care, how can I bring, you know, if God has not held my sins against me, how can I hold my sins against everyone else and say there must be justice and you must be treated, you must treat me fairly. I can't do that because God has been gracious to me. And what the gospel does is it transforms us. And what's so amazing about the story of Moses is here he's a murderer. He's an angry man. And you might think, well, is God going to kind of strip him of that energy that's behind that anger? kind of neuter him <laughs> no he's gonna take that energy and he say you're gonna become a deliverer you're gonna become a deliverer of slaves and I'm gonna transform that anger so that you're gonna act and you're gonna serve that is the power of the gospel to transform the energy of our anger to be used for God's kingdom that we might participate in the setting of, of rights in the world we might be agents of God's justice that is god's purpose with anger and that is what god gives us in jesus christ let's pray together gracious father in heaven the topic of anger speaks to each one of our stories in different ways uh Each of us has both um, acted in anger in ways that is hurtful, violent, unjust. Each of us has also been a, a, a victim of unjust anger. Lord, we bring both of these parts of our lives to you, to our Savior on the cross, that you might heal us, wash us. And uh, Lord, we do long for you to set things right in the world. We thank you that you are slow to anger. Thank you that you're gracious to us. That You wash us of our shame. May that washing give us a deep humility and patience as we seek to act and to serve those you bring into our church, into our lives, into our families,